0: Let's try that again. He is risen indeed. That's the response. He is risen. He is risen That's awesome. Well, the children, the children are now dismissed to Children's Church. And I'd like to invite the remainder of you all to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. You can find that on page 1142 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. 1 Corinthians 15, 1142. You're using the Pew Bible. In the middle of 1 Corinthians 15, or actually towards the end of it, the Apostle Paul discusses the resurrection at great length. There are well over 50 verses in this particular chapter on the resurrection. We're only going to look at the first 23 today in our study. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes this for us. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of the first importance But I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, the premise question for today's message from the Apostle Paul is, what are the implications if there is no resurrection? Some of you are familiar with BC Comics. Some of you know of the cartoonist Johnny Hart. He is a believer who is notorious for his Resurrection Sunday comics, which often depicts an empty tomb. I've got a few of them here for you. If I can pull this up today, and here we go. So here, apparently, we have uh, the Apostle Peter who's walking, and he's sighing there, and look, he's walking on the water. I mean, Apostle Peter did that for a few minutes, and and then cock-a-doodle-doo, uh-oh, and now he sinks, goes right down, still wet and dejected, and comes past a tomb, and he walks out, yes, empty tomb. It's an awesome cartoon, Resurrection Sunday. But uh, perhaps you're familiar with Wiley's Dictionary familiar with Wiley's Dictionary from BC? Uh, Definition of mutant, an ant that does mime. Oh, come on, mute ant. Okay, work with me. Are you with me? Or seasonal adjustment, the three inches of additional leeway offered to your usual belt notch. Happens at Christmas and Easter, right? Or money laundering, the inevitable course of leaving a spare $20 bill in the back pocket of your Levi's, or bummer, and this is for Tim Peterson this morning, a broken down SUV, that's a bummer for sure. And then a syllabus, this is my favorite here, how clowns take group field trips, a silly bus, oh come on, these are hilarious, aren't they? And one of my favorites, I couldn't find a a caption for it, but uh, Wiley had the definition of air, the definition of air, without which we would all exhale ourselves to death. So there was another one too, vulcanized, vulcanized what you become when Leonard Nimoy grabs you by the shoulder, that's a good one. Now from a serious perspective, in our seeking to understand something more fully, sometimes it's helpful to examine the possibility of its negation or absence like the definition of definition of air without which we'd all exhale ourselves to death think about it seriously if there is no air there is no breath if there is no light we would all remain in the darkness if there is no water there can be no oceans if there are no wheels there can be no bicycles If there is no constitution, there is no union. If there is no lightning, there can be no thunder. If there is no blood, there is no life. For me, if there is no Kathy, there is no marriage. But for all of us, if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And therefore, there is no hope. As we'll see today, the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. We're going to see that the gospel must be received. It must be believed. Without the resurrection, there just simply is no gospel. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people, as we just read a moment ago. He appeared to Peter and the disciples. He appeared to more than 500 at one time. He appeared to James and the apostles. He even appeared to Paul himself. But ultimately, it makes no sense... To say that Jesus rose from the dead if there is no resurrection of the dead. But Christ has been raised from the dead. And the promise of a resurrection is based on his resurrection. The promise of the resurrection is for all those who are in Christ. The promise of the resurrection is for all those who belong to Christ. This morning, Christ has been raised. Here Paul focuses on the negative aspects, on the gospel, if there is no resurrection. In our study this morning, we will consider four spiritual truths from this passage that will fill us with hope and expectancy regarding the resurrected Christ. But before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for this moment where we can all gather in your name to hear your truth to sing your praise. Lord, we ask that in this moment that you would be our guide, that you would be our teacher, that we would hear from you today, knowing that there's not anyone here by accident, but by your divine purposes, you've gathered us here to hear what you have to say to us. So Lord, lead us. Lead us into your truth by the power of your Holy Spirit as we experience your word. Open our hearts and our minds to receive from you. We humbly ask this in your son's wonderful and precious name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes with you from the materials you received when you came in from the program, here's the first truth of four that we're going to consider today. The resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. It just is. The resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. First of all, the gospel must be received, Scripture says, Paul says in verse 1 of this passage, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Not only do you need to receive it, you need to stand in it. This gospel message, gospel, the good news, from the old German, good spiel, the good story. It's an awesome story, an excellent, incredible story, where a dead guy yet lives. To such a degree that he overturns the grave and gives us the hope of our own graves being overturned by his sheer grace. John writes in John 1 12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Gaining access now, not only to a debt that's paid once and for all by the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but now access to the resurrection. But secondly, the gospel must be believed. Paul said, it's of the gospel I preached you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached you unless you believed in vain. Not only do you need to receive the gospel, you need to believe it. Not believing it somehow in vain. John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Of course, Jesus said this to Martha, whose brother just passed away. And they thought oh, it was all over. Both Mary and Martha were despondent over the fact of their lost brother. I and mean, here's Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? John 6 40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son, Jesus says. You imagine him gesticulating to himself as he says it. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. The gospel must be received, the gospel must be believed. None of us want to be found to be believing anything in vain. Like believing the Lions will ever win the Super Bowl, that's believing something in vain. Or believing your taxes will go down, that's believing something in vain. Or that the government actually is interested in helping us, that's to believe in vain. was it Ronald Reagan said, the most terrifying words known to man, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. That's believing something in vain. No, we need to believe with great hope, having received him, But thirdly here, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. That's what Paul says here. In verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing I can communicate to you, he says. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, that was prophesied, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, everything about Jesus' life was in accordance with the scriptures. It was all prophesied by way of the Old Testament. The resurrection of Christ is a priority of the gospel message of first importance. He died and he rose again. Acts 26, 22. To this day I've had the help that comes from God, Paul says, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul defending his faith in front of the magistrates of Rome. In 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter writes, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Beloved, the resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. Without it, there is no gospel. The gospel must be received. The gospel must be believed. But secondly this morning, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people. First of all, as we read earlier, he appeared to Peter and the disciples. That's what it says in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Then to the twelve. Luke 24, verse 33, Jesus, after the resurrection, is walking with two men on on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him at first, and at the very end, they finally understand, well, we've been with Jesus this afternoon. And these men, they rose that same hour after experiencing Jesus, and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Eyewitness accounts here. Four different guys by way of the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, one of the twelve, has an account of the resurrection. John Mark, who followed Peter's ministry in Rome, also has an account of the resurrection. Luke, the beloved doctor and physician, a friend of Paul, followed his ministry and knew of Paul's personal experience with the risen Lord. He writes of the resurrection. John, the very very best friend of Jesus, one of the 12, also writes of the resurrection. These are all eyewitness accounts. And it's Paul who's writing this, who has his own personal account with the resurrected Christ. He appeared to Peter and the disciples. He appeared to more than five hundred at a time. You see that in verse six? He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. At the time of this writing, there were those who had experienced it and could still talk about it. So some have fallen asleep. Now, of course, some have argued that well, some of these disciples, they were they were hallucinating about this resurrected Christ. And really? How do you get five hundred people to hallucinate the same thing all at the same time? Not likely. Thirdly here, he appeared to James and the apostles. James, Jesus' brother, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And the other apostles, apostolos in the Greek, the sent ones, those sent out to proclaim this good news. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And then Paul now inserts himself. Fourthly here, he appeared to Paul himself. Last of all, Paul says, as the one untimely born. I guess I was a a little late to the whole thing, he says. He appeared also to me. For I am the least of apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. Remember, the apostle Paul, who's writing this for us, was at one point killing Christians. He's rounding them up, hauling them off to be tried. And of course, when Stephen is being stoned, he's giving hearty approval to a deacon being put to death in front of him. That's who Paul was. But what a transformed life he had. Why? Because he had encountered personally the risen Christ. The resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel. Paul's personal encounter in Acts 9-4 is, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Paul was transformed in a moment. And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to many people, as we've just seen. But thirdly today, and don't miss this, it makes no sense to say that Jesus rose from the dead if there is no resurrection of the dead. In verse 12, we read this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, to make sure we understand the argument here, Paul isn't really arguing as much for Jesus' resurrection, which he is, very intently. But for a moment, he's going to talk about, is there a resurrection of anybody? Because if there's no resurrection at all of anybody, then Christ can't be risen either, right? That's his argument. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So let's consider it for a moment with him. First of all here, if there is no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. That's what he says in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Beloved, if people can't be raised from the dead at all, then Jesus can't be raised either. So here's the fundamental question. Is there such a thing in reality as life after death? That is the question. I'd like to remind you that virtually every world religion on the planet holds to some notion of the afterlife, whether it's the ancient Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Norse religion, Islam, Buddhism, with the hope of reaching nirvana or Hinduism, with reincarnation, the desire to reach Brahman. In other words, all of humanity believes that there's something more to life than just the here and now. Only a patent atheistic nationalist would say that there's no afterlife. I'll just be food for worms as I decompose six feet under. But here in this passage, Paul is arguing against the Sadducees who did not believe in life after death. And I ask you, what do you believe? So what happens if you say that there is no life after death and you end up being wrong about that? And you find yourself standing before Almighty God What will you say when he says that you have known about me all along, but you wouldn't listen? But there is a more critical problem. If there is no life after death by a series of conclusions here in Paul's discussion, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So secondly here, if there is no resurrection, then sharing the gospel is pointless and meaningless. What's the point of that? Verse 14, that's what Paul argues. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith's in vain. Our preaching is pointless and uh, your believing in something that's not possible is ridiculous. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. But thirdly, if there is no resurrection, then our faith is meaningless. Oh, but I'm just going to believe hard enough in something that's ridiculous. Uh, Paul says, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Of course, if you're John Luke Picard, you say, your faith is futile. Right? And fourthly, if there's no resurrection, then there's no forgiveness of sins. That means all of us, if there is no resurrection, you are still full of sin and corruption. There's no solution for that. I don't know about you, but it's hard enough dealing with it on our own, isn't it? But fifthly, if there's no resurrection, then those who have died are dead forever. This one is huge. Don't miss this. Did you catch that? If there is no resurrection, then those who have died are dead forever. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're gone. Never, 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 ever to be seen again. There's no hope for you ever seeing anybody ever if there is no resurrection. What a horrible possibility. And lastly here, if there's no resurrection, then we have no hope at all. That's what Paul says in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, if, in other words, if all there is is the here and the now. There's no then and there. We are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, then there is no hope for any of this in this life. No hope of eternity, no hope of forgiveness, no hope of restoration or reconciliation, no hope whatsoever. And So what is the point to life then if there is no resurrection? If there is no then and there, you're born, you eat, you sleep, you work, you reproduce, and then you die. For what? For what purpose? For what reason? Years ago, I was on campus at Kalamazoo Valley Community College teaching philosophy, and there was a young man in my class afterwards. We struck up a conversation about eternal things. And he was very certain that, uh, as a naturalist, there was no there and then. All there was was the here and now. And I just simply asked him a few questions. I just said, so if all there is is the here and now, then what is the purpose of your life? And he goes, well, I, I need to, to live a good life so that I can leave something better for other people. I said, well, that's a noble thing. But for what reason would you want to do that? For what purpose? Well, because you know, for other people, they, they, and then it'll be better for them. If I can do really well here, it'll be better for them in their life. But why? For what purpose? Who, who's accounting for any of this? If there is no God, there is no afterlife. Why, why would you do that? Why not just live it up? Do your own thing. No, we need to live good lives so that, you know, we can do better and, and make things better for everybody. I'm like, I, that's a noble thing, but why would you want to do that if there's no there and then, if there's no purpose in it? And, uh, you know, I felt bad for this kid. He started crying. I wasn't trying to badger him or beat him up. I'm just asking a couple questions. I just, I'm just trying to, I'm going to follow you where you're going with your thought, but I don't follow you. If there's no, there, do you realize you have no reason for what you're doing or what you're even ascribing to? And he goes, I know. Now, I don't know whatever happened to that young man. I can only hope that somehow the seed was planted and someone else perhaps did some more cultivating and perhaps did some reaping. But be careful what you hold to. There are implications to it. But here, finally, lastly, and with incredible exuberance and hope, but Christ has been raised from the dead. And you guys, that changes everything. First of all here, the promise of our resurrection is based on his resurrection. In other words, any opportunity you have to ever be raised from the dead has to be in light of the fact that Jesus Christ himself has been raised. That's what Paul argues here. The promise of our resurrection is based on his resurrection. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Jesus is the the first fruits of the resurrection that is made manifest for all of us by his sheer grace toward you if you've put your faith and trust in him. If Jesus has been raised, then we have hope that we too will be raised. But not only that, the promise of the resurrection is for all those who are in Christ. In verse 22 we read, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Who was the man who brought death? Adam. Adam brought sin to the world and we are just descendants from Adam and we are sinners by birth and we are sinners by choice. For as by one A man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That is Christ. And now he spells that out for us in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. Notice the issue of position here. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. What is your position? Are you in Christ? So also in Christ shall be made all alive. If you are in Christ, you shall be made alive, Scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. In John 15, it won't be on the screen, but listen closer. Listen close to what Jesus has to say. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. We need to abide in him that is in Christ shall all be made alive. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do no thing, nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Wonderful promises, wonderful assurances. The promise of the resurrection is for all those who are in Christ. What is your position today? Are you in Christ through faith? But lastly here, don't miss this. The promise of the resurrection is for all those who belong to Christ. Verse 23, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Do you belong to him? This is not an issue of position. This is an issue of possession. This won't be on the screen, but listen closely to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit later in this chapter. He reminds us of what's around the bend, about what's coming when Jesus returns. Every funeral I've done for a believer I've said those words. Oh death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Death, you lose. Because I have Christ. Jesus said in John 10:27, "My sheep hear my voice." Are you hearing his voice today? My sheep hear my voice. Jesus says, and I know them, and they follow me. Are you following him? Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. That's everlasting life, folks. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. And by the way, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What's your position? Are you in Christ? And not only that, do you belong to him? Are you his possession? Beloved, Christ has been raised from the dead. Our resurrection is entirely based on his resurrection. The promise of the resurrection is for all those who are in Christ, for all those who belong to Christ. The question here is, are you in Christ? Do you belong to him? My sheep hear my voice. I didn't write that. Jesus said that. And Jesus has got pretty good credentials. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. No one can snatch them away from me. Do you belong to him? It's my prayer and hope that you do. You know, we have talked about Wiley's Dictionary. so I want to tell you about Bradley's Dictionary. The resurrection, without which none of us get out of here alive. That's the deal. By God's grace with the resurrection, we get to live. The resurrection of Christ is central to the gospel message. After the resurrection, it is evidenced over and over again that Jesus appeared to many, many people. It makes no sense to say that Jesus rose from the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead... But Christ has been raised from the dead once and for all. The question is, have you received Christ? Do you believe in Christ? Are you in Christ? Do you belong to him? Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. And this powerful argument that Paul puts forward. Oh, God, may it not be that we've believed in vain. We know we haven't because we know that indeed Christ has been raised. And Lord, we rest in that fact. Lord, it's my prayer this morning that for all those who are here gathered in this room, that they have put their faith and trust in you. And if they haven't, they would do so even right now. Simply crying out to you, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've been going my own way, my own direction, and I need forgiveness. I need reconciliation. I need hope in my life. I now invite you into my heart and my life as I turn away from sin and turn to faith in you and ask you to come in and forgive me to wash me clean, to make me a new creation, as your word says. I long to belong to you. I long to be in you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy toward me, because I know I'm receiving grace that I haven't deserved. And Thank you for your mercy in that you have preserved me for another day, for your purposes in this life knowing that not only do I have a hope for right here, right now, but I have a hope for eternity. Thank you, Lord. I hope you prayed that this morning if you never have, to such a degree that you could say that I'm in Christ now, so that you could say that you belong to him, having received him, having believed on his name. Lord, for the rest in this room who have been following you for years, I pray that all have been encouraged through this truth that we have not believed in vain. We've not followed in vain. But we stand in the resurrection. We stand by faith. It is the basis for all that we hope in, long for. To know that we have not only an abundant life now through Christ, but access to eternal life knowing that his resurrection is the basis for our resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for strengthening our hearts, encouraging our souls with these accounts, these historic accounts preserved for us by your hand. Thank you, God. So, Lord, on this Easter, may it not escape our notice that you've been raised from the dead. Jesus ever lives. Your promise is that if we believe in you, we too will always live. Lord, thank you for that hope. There are many in this room who've lost loved ones, even recently, who are holding on, clinging on, dare I say, clinging on to a hope of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for that hope. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to be pitied at all because we have a great confidence in you and what you have to say. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise. And all God's people said this morning, Amen. Thank you so much for coming. Please stand for our final song.